The year is 2001. And Tom James, that's me, is eight years old. It would be a year like no other. A year that would set young Tom on a journey that would extend long into his adulthood. A year in which a lifelong love would be discovered. Because in 2001, Tom sat in his living room in front of his parents' TV. And for the first time, he removed the VHS video from its box. If you don't know what that is, don't worry. And he pushed it into the video player. The mechanism inside the ancient machine clicked and whirred into action. And there before him, in retrospectively extremely poor non-HD fuzzy quality, the blue text appeared on the screen in a galaxy far, far away. I am, of course, talking about the moment that my eight-year-old self first watched Star Wars, a moment of such momentous significance that would shape much of my life to come. A moment that would mean that in 2022, as a married man, uh, if you come to our house on a probably slightly too prominent shelf in our living room, you'll find a display of Lego Star Wars figures and a hand-painted model of the Millennium Falcon. Um, Meg did approve of that, don't worry. Uh, And the same Millennium Falcon, by the way, which um, when I watched one of the newer films more recently, um, as it flew onto the screen for the first time, it would cause me to uh, cry actual tears in public. Uh, yeah, so it is no secret that I love Star Wars. Um, you know, uh, as a kid, um, I used to have this, this toy um, of my favourite character um, from Star Wars at the time. His name is Jango Fett, right, with removable jetpack, guys. Um, and I'd wanted this toy for absolutely ages before I'd got it. Like, I'm talking like weeks, months of walking past it in the shop. Um, it was going to be the best toy ever. I'd wanted it for ages. And then I got it. And I think I played with it for like three weeks uh, before it was resigned to the box under my bed from which toys never return. Um, I'd wanted it so bad, but I just got bored of it, I guess. I loved it, but after three weeks, I was probably off after the next thing, the next best toy ever. Why am I going on about all this? Well, as I was preparing for this talk, uh, I was trying to think of an illustration for what I think is going on in a lot of our wider culture. It might be a bit of a clunky illustration, but um, I want to suggest that actually I think we're all a little bit like eight-year-old Tom. We all want stuff that we think will make us happy. Whether that's buying stuff, Um, might be as trivial as buying toys or as big as houses. Uh, Or maybe it's going after certain experiences, um, like holidays or parties or whatever. Um, You want a new car? If it makes you happy. You want a new phone? Absolutely, whatever you need. Or even if we don't um, have the means to get any of that stuff, there's probably part of us that thinks, if only I could, then I'd be happy. We're all going after what we think will make us happy. The author Dostoevsky, writing in the 1870s, said, The world says, you have needs, satisfy them. You have as much right as the rich and the mighty. Don't hesitate to satisfy your needs. Indeed, expand your needs and demand more. This is the worldly doctrine of today. And so the point is that so much of the world says that fulfilling your need for pleasure is what life is for. That's the good life, pleasure at any cost. And if you've reached your limit, we'll demand more. 
Go after more of what makes you feel good, whatever meets your needs, whatever you have to do to make yourself feel good. Freedom is found in getting what you want. And so happiness, pleasure, delight, as defined by us, are the ultimate drivers in our society. Last week we started this uh, new teaching series called A Church of the Way, looking at what kind of church God might be calling us to be. A gathering of called out people, as John was sharing with us, to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. And today we're, uh, we're looking at a church that delights. A church that delights. And as we'll see, although it's always been the calling of the global church, when I think about what our city needs right now, when I think about the people of our city chasing pleasure wherever it can most easily be found, and maybe even masking pain with momentary experiences that don't really last, what our city needs is a church that delights. A church that has the answer to the endless pursuit of happiness. A church that is visibly experiencing and displaying to the world a satisfaction that outweighs and outlasts any other. A church so caught up in worship and joy that the watching world looks on and wants in. A church that delights. And so we should ask, um, delights in what? Where is this ultimate satisfaction and pleasure to be found? And of course, you might have guessed, I want to suggest today that it's found in God himself. Our city needs a church that delights in God. I think it's fair to say um, that church and Christianity in general, um, in our culture, doesn't always get the best rep, right? Um, I think amongst other things, there's this perception that um, church is just a bit boring, um, that following Jesus means a ton of rules that come from a really old book um, that you have to sit and read all the time and go to church on Sundays and listen to someone waffle on about that same old book, and it's just boring, right? Over the summer, I spoke about how uh, everything that we do here and in our lives should ultimately be for the glory of God. It's the why behind each of our lives and everything that we do, beginning, middle, and end, all for his glory. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 sums it up nicely, actually. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And I grew up in church, um, and so I heard that line from day one, um, But if I'm honest, living uh, for God's glory sort of just felt like a duty. Um, It's what I was supposed to do. It's what I was being told to do, not necessarily what I wanted to do. Um, Worship was like something that God demanded of me, and I didn't really have a choice in the matter. It was about ticking the right boxes, reading my Bible, trying not to fall asleep in the sermons, uh, and doing the stuff that I was supposed to do to glorify God, whether I enjoyed it or not, and mostly I didn't. And that actually led to a few years as a teenager where I lost interest completely. Um, I was bored. And so is that it? Is that all that's on offer from the way of Jesus? Is that all that church is? A boring life of dull, monotonous duty in service of a God who demands that we worship him, whether we like it or not. 
Well, thankfully, no. And what I want to share with you mainly today um, hinges on a sentence that changed my life. Sort of revolutionized the way that I see God and what it means to follow him. Um, It might be familiar to some of you. It's from a kind of particular area of Christian thought that goes back to like some of the early um, reformers and thinkers. Um, And so here it is, okay? Here's the sentence. If you remember one thing from today, this is what I want you to remember. We glorify God most by delighting in him. We glorify God most by delighting in him. The basic premise um, is this. God's glory and our joy are not separate. Like over here is worshipping and glorifying God, which is boring and, and dutiful. And over here is the stuff that we actually enjoy. Rather, God gets the most glory from me when I enjoy him the most. The more I enjoy God, the more he makes me happy, the more I see of him and delight in him and what he's done, the more he is glorified. The happier he makes me above anything else, the more he is proclaimed as glorious above anything else. God gets glory when we enjoy him, when we delight in him. The two things are linked, my joy found in God and God being glorified. We glorify God most by delighting in him. Does that make sense? Okay, let's pick it apart a little bit more. Here's a, here's a story just to illustrate um, that, at least on a human level. Um, imagine that it's next April uh, and my wife Meg and I are celebrating our second wedding anniversary, which we will. Um, And imagine I buy, um, because it's our second year of marriage, um, I buy her this massive bouquet of flowers, right? They cost like 200 pounds. Um, That's like seven or eight Django Fett with removable jetpacks. And uh, 200 quid flowers, right? And I I hold this bundle of flowers behind my back and I'm walking up the driveway to my front door to surprise her. um, And I ring the doorbell. She comes to the door, looks a little bit puzzled. Why am I ringing the doorbell of my own home? And I say, happy anniversary, Meg. And she says, oh, Tom, they're so beautiful. Why did you spend so much? (laughs) Well, imagine I said, it's my duty. I read it in a book. Uh, That's what husbands do. It's not a great answer. (laughs) She wouldn't be too thrilled, I don't think. Well, so just rewind. Ding dong, happy anniversary, Meg. Oh, Tom, they're beautiful. Why did you spend so much? And I say, well, I couldn't help myself. In fact, we're going out to dinner tonight because there's nothing that I'd rather do than spend time with you. It would make me very happy. If I said, time spent with you, who I love, would make me happy, what do you think that says about who she is to me? It shows that she is someone that I treasure. And so it's a human example, but it proves that a person in whom you find delight, who makes you happy, makes them your treasure. By saying, I want to spend time with you, you make me happy, you make that person your treasure, and in a sense, you glorify them. And they feel it. Maybe you've experienced something similar. I know that Meg loves the thought that she makes me happy. She might think, I feel treasured right now because you're finding your delight in me. I feel treasured, right? 
And that is how God feels when we find our delight in him. That's the point. I wonder if you ever considered that, that God feels treasured when you delight in him. When we worship him, when we're here going after him, when we're enjoying him, God feels something. It moves the heart of God when we delight in him. The more you delight in God, the more he is glorified as your greatest treasure. Does that make sense? We glorify God most by delighting in him. And so, if that's true, which hopefully you agree it is, then the way of Jesus, this life of glorifying God, becomes about getting as happy in God as you possibly can. It's not about duty or a boring list of boxes to tick. It's about a life lived in continuous joy and wonder and enjoyment in the knowledge of who God is. If, if the glory of God is the reason behind everything, like we looked at over the summer, it's all for the glory of God, and we glorify God most by delighting in him, then delighting in God is everything. Our whole lives become a pursuit of getting happy in God. A life lived for the glory of God is about getting as much of God as we can into our minds, hearts, souls, and finding him to be so utterly satisfying. And so you want to pursue God's glory in your life? Get as happy in God as you possibly can. Delight yourself in him. I went on holiday with my sister once uh, to Edinburgh. Love Edinburgh. If you've not been, you should definitely go. Um, and we found this uh, bookshop, because that's the kind of people we are. Uh, and um, I bought this book. Um, it's very old, as you can see. Um, uh, dusty old book on the back of a shelf. And th this is a copy of the Westminster Catechism. Okay? Fun times. Um, <laughs> this one, specifically, this is from 1815. Okay? This book. I bought this for like 20 quid in Edinburgh. I was like, what? Um, uh, and actually, I don't know if I can show you. Let me put down my iPad. In the cover, um, oh, am I going to be able to do this that way around? It's got handwritten prayers from people who've been following Jesus since 1815. Um, I can only read about three sentences of them, but it's amazing stuff. Um, really, really cool. Um, uh, the, the Westminster Catechism, in case you're wondering what on earth is that old book, um, it was written around 400 years ago um, as a sort of training manual for um, the Christian faith. It's basically like a really long list of questions um, uh, and then answers to those questions covering all of the basics. Um, and question one in the Westminster Catechism is, what is the chief end of man? What is the chief end of man? It's basically asking, what's the purpose of humanity? Why are we here? And the answer, famously, is the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Sound familiar? I think that is a fantastic summary. Glorify God, enjoy him forever. It's essentially what we've been saying so far today. And even back in the 1600s, they were thinking along these lines. They were linking our joy and God's glory. 
And so this is not a new idea, something that we've just made up recently. It's rooted in historical thought as followers of Jesus have sought to answer questions like, why are we here? What they've come up with time and time again is not some restrictive code of conduct or a life of dull obedience to a God who demands that we worship him. What they've discovered is a life of freedom to enjoy God as the ultimate treasure in the universe and therefore to glorify him above everything else. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That is why we exist. And trust me, once you start to grasp this, you start to see it everywhere in the Bible, this theme of delight and joy. Psalm 37, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. 1 Peter 1, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Romans 15, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. Nehemiah 8, the joy of the Lord is, I could go on and on and on, trust me. It's everywhere. Delight is everything. But I just want to say, um, I'm very aware, um, even as we were praying earlier, I'm very aware that I'm talking about delight and happiness here um, during a national period of mourning. And many of us um, may have been grieving uh, in recent days as the news of the Queen's death um, came to us. And that may well have brought up memories um, of bereavement even closer to home, as Hannah was mentioning. Uh, the continued economic fallout from the pandemic, the climate crisis, the energy crisis, the shooting of Chris Carber, as we prayed about last week, there's so much to feel overwhelmed by. And we cannot ignore the reality that life is not always easy. I just want to say that. It's okay if you don't feel joy today coming in. But I also want to be clear that what I'm talking about here is not some sort of like trite happiness or sort of put on a brave face that ignores the hard stuff in life. What I'm talking about is a robust joy in God that outlasts and prevails even through the tough stuff. It's a joy that almost mysteriously remains present even when everything else seems dark. It's what enabled the Apostle Paul to write from prison, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus, for whose sake I have lost all things. And then a few verses later, rejoice in the Lord. Always, I will say it again, rejoice. It's what enabled the hymn writer, having just lost all five of his children at sea, to write, it is well with my soul. See, this is not the escapism of our secular culture that seeks to kind of um, mask pain with pleasure. It's to truly live even in the pain. To find such a deep joy and satisfaction in God that means we can endure the suffering that so often comes our way. Our city is desperate for something more than a momentary fleeting feel-good moment for something real that can help us in our struggles and anchor us to a higher purpose. And guys, a church that delights has the answer. And his name is Jesus. 
the all-satisfying, glorious God. And so we don't, uh, we don't go to church and say that's what Christians do. I read it in a book. We ring the doorbell and when God opens the door, we say nothing would make me happier than to meet you here. And as our ultimate happiness is found in God, so too is he glorified as our greatest treasure. And so just as we come into land and the kind of rubber hits the road of what difference this makes in our lives, I just really want to stress, this is not a solo pursuit. It's not a solo pursuit. We're talking about the church here, right? Us, the ecclesia, as John shared last week, the called out ones. Yes, absolutely, this is a call to live each of our lives differently, but it is also, and actually I'd say primarily, a call to our life as a gathered people. It has to affect us, right? As the body, the temple, the bride of Christ, as Tom was sharing a few weeks back, delighting in him as his bride who delights in her bridegroom. You know, all of the, uh, the bridal language in the New Testament is plural, you know. Um, in Paul's mind, who's writing, he's not really saying that you individually are the bride of Christ, although definitely our individual relationships with Jesus matter a lot. But Paul, when he's talking, um, he's talking about Jesus and us together, delighting in and loving Jesus as a wife delights in a loving husband, forsaking all others. We're called to love him, to enjoy him together. And so that's why we gather here each week and at worship nights and prayer meetings and student nights and youth and kids and everything in between is to fill our minds and our hearts with him and respond in adoration and delight. That's what church is about. That's why we sing about him and to him. The direction of our gaze is up as John was saying last week, up above the storm, to look at him and enjoy him together to the point where we cannot help but respond in praise. That's why we preach about him, pray to him, ask his spirit to come and be amongst us because we want to enjoy more of him. Maybe you're sat there thinking, oh, Tom, this all sounds great. I've managed not to fall asleep. Um, But how do I do it? How do I delight in God? How do we delight in God? Especially because um, life and especially church is messy and broken and there's always stuff that distracts us, even in worship. um, Our minds just naturally begin to drift to other things. So how do we delight in God? Well, you could do a whole sermon series just on this, but three tips from me just as we come into land really quickly. Um, Tip number one, experience Jesus. Number two, talk about Jesus. Number three, share Jesus. So first, experience Jesus. What do I mean by that? I I basically mean everything I've been saying. Let's fill our minds and our hearts with him. Whether that's the songs that we sing, the podcasts that we listen to, the books that we read, the company that we keep. I want to encourage you, let's go out of our way to get as much of Jesus in our lives as possible. And I want to be clear there, I don't mean just sort of generally Christian stuff, right? There's a lot that Christians talk about. There's a lot of books been written about a lot of things, a lot of songs about a lot of things. I mean stuff specifically about Jesus, who he is, what he's like. 
Why did he die? Why did he rise again? Let's think about him. And um, if I can, just to the table leaders in the room, um, as we kind of launch this new term of tables, if you're thinking about what to talk about as tables, oh gosh, we've got these people coming around, what are we going to talk about? Start here. Open a gospel, an account of his life. Pick a book that is about him and what his life and he's like and just go through it together. Let's fill our minds with Jesus. And, and when you get distracted, not if, when you get distracted, see that as an opportunity to come back to Jesus. Rich Velodis, pastor in New York, he says this, rather than seeing distractions as frustrating interruptions, see them as opportunities to come back to Jesus. When you get distracted, intentionally think about him again. Talk to him. Sing to him. Fix your mind and your heart back on him. Experience Jesus. Secondly, talk about Jesus. It's linked, but in our conversations together on Sundays, over coffee, at our tables, at student nights, youth, workplaces, um, wherever we are, talk about Jesus. What's he been doing in your life? What's he been doing in other people's lives? What have you heard him say? What confuses you about him? That's a great one. What don't you get? Talk about him with each other. We're not meant to go after him alone. So let's walk with each other on the journey. And then lastly, share Jesus. This is one of the best ways to delight in Jesus. Uh, It's to see him move in someone else's life. Invite people to Alpha. Come along with them. Or invite people into your homes at work with your colleagues, at the school gates, uh, on campus, share Jesus with the people around you and watch him move in their lives. Watch them discover him. And as you do, I promise you, you'll discover things about him too. And it will thrill you that he's alive and active in the world. So experience Jesus, talk about Jesus, and share Jesus. And guys, please, whatever you do, do not stop coming to church. (laughs) I don't say that for the sake of the church. Um, I guess in a sense I do, but I mean for you as the church. I I may say that for your sake. John shared from Hebrews last week, do not stop meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. This right here, us going after Jesus together is the best place to delight in him, spurring one another on, spending time in his presence as his bride, fixing our eyes on him. That is what I long for, for our Sunday gatherings and for our worship. Um, I'm the worship pastor here, as I said, and you know, my job as the worship pastor here is not to tell you that you need to be worshipping more or to kind of whip up some surface level um, sense of hype and all the hands go up as we hit the chorus. Um, My job as a worship pastor is to fix our eyes on Jesus so that we see him as so ultimately satisfying that our very souls sing. That's what I want for us. We gather here as the ecclesia, the assembly of the called out ones to delight in God, to enjoy him together and to glorify him as supremely satisfying beyond anything else that the world offers. And so just as we close, I want to ask, is that where you're at? When you come to church, is that what you're going after? 
or are you settling for less? I want you to hear the invitation of the Spirit of God this morning to deep happiness and joy in him. Infinite joy is on offer today and every week. And maybe you do know that. Uh, Maybe you are hungry for that and you do walk in those doors every single week and you just can't wait to get more of him and you're pursuing him each day of your life. And I just want to say yes to that. I sort of want to just fan more of that into flame in you. Well done, keep going. But maybe, maybe we do need a little course correction. Maybe there's stuff in your life that you know that you are using as a bit of an escape. Maybe there's stuff that you're pinning your hopes of happiness on. Stuff that you think, oh, if only I had, then I would be happy. And I just want to say today, Jesus is better. Whatever it is, he is better. And maybe when you come to church, you know, it's, um, it is so easy to come to church and just enjoy the experience. I know that in my own life. Um, the band are usually pretty good. Uh, the talks are usually pretty good. Um, it would be very easy just to engage at that level. But I want to encourage you. Let's not just sing the songs. It's not a gig. Let's not just sit back and enjoy the talk. Let's fix our eyes on the one that we're singing about, the one that we're preaching about. And even if that feels a million miles away from where you're at, delight is available for you today. The Spirit of God is here. He is ready and willing to show you Jesus. This is the invitation today. Let's fill our minds and hearts with Jesus. Let's go after him. Let's enjoy him and let's pour out our adoration and praise with everything that we have because he's so good. Let's be the church that our city needs. A church so caught up in worship and joy that the watching world looks on and wants in. Let's glorify God by enjoying him. Let's be a church that delights.